I want to invite us to begin with a question. It's a question sometimes asked in spiritual direction circles that doesn't have, you know, a, a simple, single, unchanging answer. Responses tend to shift over time and uh, in response to different seasons of our life. One way of working skillfully with open-ended questions such as the one I'm going to share with you momentarily is to periodically ask it to yourself. Just kind of drop it into your consciousness. Asking it with genuine curiosity then allows some silence and space. Maybe even take it for a walk. You may be surprised by what emerges in response. Here's the question. What is saving your life right now? What is saving your life right now? Not saving your life for a next world, but giving you life right now in real time in this world. What people, what places or practices regularly make you feel grateful, connected, energized, or more fully alive? You can also flip the question to consider what are the people, places, and practices that are rarely, regularly making me feel ungrateful, alienated, drained of energy. You can use that to discern what you might want to set an intention around letting go to the extent that is possible for you. During this pandemic, as Jen already started talking about in the sp spoken meditation, one simple practice that has been saving my life is getting outside of the house at some point every day, either to walk or to run. It can seem like a small thing, but science has shown how big a difference it can make. And I'd like us to spend a little time reflecting in particular on the spiritual practice of walking. But here at the beginning, let me offer an important caveat. It's important to acknowledge that, of course, not all people can walk. Although we're going to be exploring some significant historic examples of walking, allow me to underscore that the heart of the matter does not require bipedal locomotion. Uh, what I'm really getting to is movement through the world in a contemplative, embodied, open-minded, open-hearted way. And that can be done by rolling, by walking, however it is easiest for you to move in the world. In addition, I should add that I intentionally scheduled this sermon about the importance of getting outside. I scheduled it near the winter solstice. Tomorrow is the longest, darkest night at the end of an extraordinarily hard year. So as the days grow colder and darker, many of us need a reminder of how life-saving, or at least life-enhancing, a simple trip outside and moving around for a while, how transformative that can be. That being said, let me also give a quick shout out to another wintertime spiritual practice that might be saving your life right now, or that might be able to enhance your life in the days to come in these increasingly dark and cold days. It's a spiritual practice many of you may have heard of called Hygge, H-Y-G-G-E. Uh, it originates from Denmark and Norway. I'll share my screen to tell you just a little bit more about it. So Hygge means an intentional cultivation of coziness, of comfort, of contentment. Its etymology is the same root that gives us the English word hug. So practicing Hygge often involves surrounding yourself with whatever feels to you 
like a warm embrace. So perhaps that might be wearing an oversized sweater, thick socks, and a giant blanket. It might mean curling up with a good book in front of the glow of candles or a fire. It might mean sipping a hot beverage of choice out of your favorite mug or doing some combination of all of those. So if walking is not your jam, always know there's Hugo waiting for you. Or do some walking and come in from the cold and get your Hugo on. Now, since we've been talking about Hugo, which is associated most strongly with Denmark, let me shift our focus more fully onto moving through the world with a quote from a Danish philosopher, uh, Soren Kierkegaard, about the life-saving power of walking. Kierkegaard wrote that every day I walk myself into a state of well-being, and I walk away from every illness. I have walked myself into my best thoughts, and I know of no thought so burdensome that one cannot walk away from it. Remember, you don't have to believe everything you think, and walking can be a way of loosening your attachment to your thoughts. There's just a lot of experience and truth packed into that quote from Kierkegaard, and I've often found it helpful to take a problem for a walk, even just around the block. Getting up and moving creates time and space and flow for free association, increasing the possibility for previously unconsidered possibilities to emerge. As the saying goes, movement is medicine. And numerous scientific studies are co correlate walking with improved creativity, improved mood, general sharpening of our thinking. Periods of aerobic exercise after learning can uh, enhance and improve recall. Reliable and regular aerobic exercise produces new cells in our hippocampus, the, the area of our brain associated with learning and memory. And regular exercise stimulates production of an important molecule that assists in brain plasticity. Even knowing, though, all the positive benefits of movement, sometimes just getting out the front door can be easier said than done. I'll readily admit, as many of you know, winter is not my favorite. I really am happy for all of those who love the cold, but my favorite season is summer, which I know some of you hate. Fair enough. My point is that even if the cold or rain or snow is not your favorite time of year, I found that for me, it still really makes a difference if I take at least a 20 minute walk each day. I'll often set a 10 minute timer. You know, if, if I know like I can just can't stand to be outside that long, I'll just set a 10 minute countdown timer on my phone, head out the door in whichever direction. Then when that alarm sounds, I know I can turn around and I'll have gotten my 10 minute walk in. Even that much can make a huge difference to my heart, my mind, my body, my spirit. And that's not just limited to my idiosyncratic personal experience. Multiple scientific studies have shown that 20 minutes of exercise improves metabolism and has been shown to boost one's mood for about 12 hours afterwards. So it's just something to think about as we enter this year and um, start a new year of, as you think about what uh, resolutions and intentions you may want to set.
And at the other end of the spectrum from that 20 minutes of walking a day as the sweet spot for getting significant benefit from relatively little exertion, likely the most famous walker in our tradition of Unitarian Universalism is our um, transcendentalist forebear, Henry David Thoreau. He wrote an essay titled Walking that some of you may have read or read excerpts of um, at various points. And let me again share my um, screen with you to say a little more about that. Thoreau, um, Thoreau wrote, I cannot preserve my health and my spirits unless I spend four hours a day at least, and it is commonly more than that, he said, sauntering through the woods and over the hip fields and hills, absolutely free from all worldly engagement. Thoreau's level of commitment to walking rivals that of the beloved UU poet Mary Oliver, whose life and legacy we explored in April, who is famous for her days spent wandering in the woods of Provincetown, Massachusetts. Along those lines, Thoreau wrote in his journal in 1851 that the moment my legs begin to move, my thoughts begin to flow as if I had given vent to the steam at my lower end and consequently found new fountains flowed into it at the upper. He said a thousand rills, that's the flow of a small stream, a thousand flows of a small stream, which have their rise in the sources of thought, burst forth and fertilize my brain. That's what it felt like for him whenever he finally started walking. Only when we are in action is the circulation perfect. He said the writing which consists with habitual sitting is mechanical, wooden, and dull to read. So for both Thoreau and Oliver, long meandering walks, for them, it was really not about exercise. It was about connecting to nature, what our UU seventh principle calls that interdependent web of all existence that we talked a lot about last week with our sermon on fungus. It was about giving one's heart and mind and spirit time and space to free associate and open to creativity, inspiration, and new ideas. Our focus on walking also gives me an occasion to share with you a story of another of history's greatest but lesser known walkers, Emma Gatewood. I wonder if you, how many of you know her story. That's her standing in the center of the picture holding an infant. To tell you more, come with me back 65 years to 1955. Emma was 67 years old and had never previously lived anywhere other than her hometown of Gallia County, Ohio. And that fateful day, she hitchhiked 65 miles to Charleston, West Virginia, caught a flight to Atlanta, Georgia, bought a ticket for another hour-long bus ride to the small town of Jasper, Georgia, and finally took a taxi another 30 minutes to Mount Oglethorpe, where she walked to the southern starting point of the Appalachian Trail. Her goal was 2,190 miles away, Mount Katahdin in Maine. Now, if I were attempting a through hike of the Appalachian Trail today, I would be doing, full disclosure, some serious shopping at REI before heading out of town. But that's not what Emma Gatewood did almost seven decades ago. She threw her denim slip bag over her shoulder and started to hike. She didn't have a tent. She didn't have a map. She didn't have a sleeping bag. She was not prepared. She had not done any basic training. For food, she took Vienna sausages, raisins, and peanuts. Now, there were a lot of things that women didn't usually do in the 1950s in the U.S., and walking alone through the wilderness just honestly was one of them. 
By no means do I recommend taking her approach to hiking the AT, but I bring up my, the, her story because she offers such a clear example of someone who had this powerful sense far beyond what most of us um, probably will ever experience in a really extreme way that what could save her life right then in that moment was walking. To give you just a brief sketch of her backstory for what motivated her decision, she was in a, an abusive marriage for about 30 years until her husband was killed in a bar fight. She then waited until the final few of her 11 children were old enough to move out of the house, and then she started walking in early May in Georgia. In September, four months later, she summited Mount Katahdin in Maine. She had achieved what no one believed possible for a woman her age. She wore out six pairs of cotton shoes. When her hike was over, she decided to do it again. And when she finished a second time, she decided to hike the Appalachian Trail a third time, which actually no one had ever done before. Hike the entire thing over 2,000 miles a third time. That final hike was in 1963 when she was 75. Emma Gatewood died 10 years later in 1973 at the age of 85. Her daughter later said that her mother had learned about the Appalachian Trail from a magazine article and had said after closing the magazine, well, if those men can do it, I can do it too. And she did. Honestly, Emma Gatewood is a legend, full stop. <laughs> Here's a slide with a book about her if you're interested to learn more. But I would emphasize again, you definitely don't have to do anything like be that extreme in your walking or your moving through the world. Remember that 20 minutes a day of walking or moving is that sweet spot that can make a huge difference. And even just spending a little out time outside is better than nothing or just journeying around the block, whatever's possible for you. If it might help to have some company for your journey, remember we've had this, um, these first Friday um, hikes starting up, masked and physically distanced, and the, the first Friday hike in January will coincidentally be New Year's Day, right? Friday, January 1st. The hike will be midday, more information forthcoming in the next week's e-newsletter, but um, think about that if that might be a good way to start off your 2021. As I begin to move to my conclusion, I'll say that reflecting on the topic of walking this past week reminded me of one of my favorite quotes from Ramdas. We're all just walking each other home. We're all just walking each other home. There's something deep and simple and true about that, and I am so grateful to be on this journey with all of you. And as each of us continues to discern how we feel led to walk, or roll or otherwise move through the world in this season of our life in the coming new year of 2021. I will close for now by inviting you to hear one of my favorite poems titled Walking Toward Morning. It's by my colleague, the Reverend Victoria Safford. She's the minister of White Bear UU in Minnesota. As you listen, I invite you to open yourself, mind, heart, body, spirit, to the people, the places, and the practices. Whatever is saving your life right now. Um, I also invite you to listen if there is perhaps a word or a phrase that you hear as I read this poem that particularly resonates with you in this season of your life. You might notice something as I'm reading that resonates with you that might be part of an intention you may want to set for the coming year. Here are Reverend Safford's words. 
you know we do it every day. Every morning, we go out blinking into the glare of our freedom, into the wilderness of work and the world, making maps as we go, looking for some sign that we're on the right path. And on some good days, we walk right out of our oppressions. Those things that press down on us from the outside or as often from the inside. We shake off the shackles of fear, prejudice, timidity, closed-mindedness, selfishness, self-righteousness, and claim our freedom outright as terrifying as it is, our freedom to be human and humane. Every morning, every day, we leave our houses not knowing if it will be for the last time, and we decide, what will we take with us? Remember Emma Gatewood, what am I going to take with us for our journey, right? What will we carry? How much integrity? How much truth-telling? How much compassion in case we meet someone along the way who may need some? How much arrogance? How much anger? How much humor? How much willingness to change or be changed, to grow or to be grown? How much faith and hope? How much love and gratitude? You pack all those things. You decide what to pack with your lunch and your medications, your date book and your papers. Every day, we gather what we think we'll need. We pick up what we love, all that we believe so far. We put on our history we shoulder our experience and memory. We take inventory of our blessings and we start walking toward morning.